We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Brandon Pollan. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, F. Scott Field. And today, we are bringing you a highly trained clinician in the realm of running and biking-related injuries and rehabilitation. With that, we welcome Dr. Jason London. Now, for those of you who don't know who Jason is, Jason specializes in the rehabilitation and prevention of sports-related injuries with a particular interest in the biomechanics of sporting activities, including running, cycling, skiing, snowboarding, and overhead athletics. He has published on the topic of shoulder biomechanics and the rehabilitation of knee injuries and has a strong commitment to educating others. Jason serves as a physical therapist for the U.S. snowboarding and U.S. free skiing teams and is a frequent, well-received local and national presenter on the topics of sports rehabilitation and injury prevention. He is a recent recipient of the New Horizon Award from the APTA. Now, Jason received his Doctor of Physical Therapy degree from the University of Minnesota, where he was the recipient of the Gary L. Soderberg DPT Visionary Award, the Mary A. McAvoy Award for Public Engagement and Leadership, the Minnesota APTA Outstanding Physical Therapy Student Award, and the President's Student Leadership and Service Award. He received a Master in Arts in Cell and Molecular Biology from St. Cloud State University and Bachelor's of Arts from St. Olaf College. Jason also received specialized training through the Minnesota Sports Medicine Sports Physical Therapy Residency and received his board certification as a sports physical therapy clinical specialist through the American Physical Therapy Association. And he has also served as a faculty for the Fairview Sports Physical Therapy Residency Program. And he currently teaches the rehabilitation of the injured runner and the professional bike fitting courses through the Institute of Clinical Excellence. Now, Jason's also, of course, an avid snowboarder, cyclist, and runner, and Nordic skier himself, and he enjoys spending his time outdoors with his family. Now, Jason, you know, I realize that I kept your bio pretty brief based on all the other stuff I'm sure you've done throughout your career, but, you know, was there anything that you'd like our audience to know about you that I didn't mention in the intro? Yeah, you know, I'm in uh, Bozeman, Montana currently, and uh, currently the co-owner of Excel Physical Therapy in Bozeman. We have two clinics, and we recently just uh, built a new clinic for our our Bozeman office, so we're really excited about that. And then along with being in Bozeman, um, I help provide physical therapy services for the U.S. Paralympic Nordic team. Awesome. I mean, that's a pretty impressive bio. I mean, just reading all that you've done and such. And, you know, before we start into kind of the rehab aspects... You know, I got to ask, man, what have been the best slopes and courses that you've done with skiing and snowboarding? Yeah, great question. I'd, I'd have to say probably the first uh, first trip that I went on with, with the team um, probably rings out as, as the, the most, uh, stands out the most in my mind. Uh, and that was going to Mammoth Mountain in California. And uh, it was for the U.S. Grand Prix. And it was with the U.S. snowboard team and U.S. free ski team. And it was just a great experience, uh, my first exposure to that, and working with uh, both the athletes, the coaches, and uh, the physicians that were were involved with that. It was a really nice team-based approach, 
and just a, a good introduction to doing some um, on the on the course PT management of injuries and just trying to keep the athletes going throughout the week for their uh, competition. Um, I should mention I, I do just volunteer as a pool member of that, so I, I only go on trips um, every couple of years or so. But it is a it's a great experience and um, great to to try to be part of the the team, uh, especially with the Olympics going on right now. Yeah, I was going to say that's got to be a really fun time for you currently with the uh, Winter Olympics, Jason. Um, well, let's kind of dive right into the episode then. I mean, Jason, just to give some context, how prevalent are running-related and biking-related injuries in the U.S.? Uh, great question. Well, running injuries are extremely prevalent, um, with stump studies showing up to 90% of those in training for a marathon having a running-related injury and up to uh, 75% annual incidence of running-related injuries. So when you take into account that there's around 40 million runners in the U.S., um, that comes out to be around 30 million uh, running-related injuries per year. Now, of course, it's a graded scale on you know what you're really calling an injury, if it's something that it's just pain and it's not restricting training at all, or is it actually getting to the point where it is restricting someone's training? Uh, cycling injuries are not as pre- prevalent as running injuries, but still significant with, uh, again, some studies showing up to 60% of recreational cyclists uh, having knee pain and 70% of recreational cyclists having back pain. So um, both both of these p- patient populations with the injuries that we're talking about in terms of being the most common injuries for these patient populations are best served by uh seeing a physical therapist to treat those injuries. No, I love that, Jason. I think that's really important to hear. And, you know, I'm going to kind of ask one question off the script here based on that. You know, in regards to runners, is there a certain particular injury that seems to be the most common among them? Like, like, is it a certain body region that seems to be the most affected? Uh, Absolutely. The knee by far um, is is the most commonly affected uh, body part for for a running-related injury. And uh, the most common running-related injury is anterior knee pain, basically patellofemoral pain syndrome. And again, that's you know totally in our wheelhouse as physical therapists to to treat. And you can definitely do some more specific things with runners um, to to really specify your treatment to them and keep them engaged and get them back running uh, sooner than later, and not have them having to wait to go through a normal rehab process of six weeks to to get them running you can actually do some tweak some things with their mechanics uh, to a lot a lot of times have them run with a lot less pain or no pain while they're doing their traditional uh, rehab for patellofemoral pain syndrome so jason what would you say are some of the top clinical pearls or concepts based on the most up-to-date research that most pts need to know in order to best help cyclists recovering from injury um, or to return to biking you know um with cycling, there's a lot less uh, literature on on their injuries, um, but what we do know is that the majority of their injuries are overuse injuries, and uh, again, with knee injuries and, and back injuries being the most prevalent, and when you think about cycling uh, compared to running, is you know, cy- when you're cycling, you're, and you're in a much more constrained position, so there, the the fit of the bike uh, with the patient on on the bike in terms of looking at their posture on the bike is is really important. So there's a lot of things that you can tweak in the clinic um, where you can make some small changes to how their bike is set up and then how their posture is on the bike to really affect their pain. But unfortunately, there's really not a lot of um, 
literature to to support that yet. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll see that here coming in the future. That's interesting, Jason. And I think you know to kind of go back a little bit and to kind of talk about the running aspects a little bit more because I think that's really interesting. Um, you know, Jason, what are some of the top clinical pearls and concepts based on the most up to date research that most PTs need to know to best help runners recovering from injury and return to running? Well, Brandon, unlike uh, cycling, there's a wealth of literature on running-related injuries. And really, it's a kind of explored, especially for rehab um, in the past you know, seven to five to seven years. Um, so that's that's really helps aid us as clinicians um, to kind of figure out the underlying cause causation of those those running-related injuries. And the short answer is, is that um, all running injuries are, of course, multifactorial in their causation. But almost every running injury that you see, one of the one of those factors um, that's common a, a, across all patients is that almost all running injuries that you see are going to be the result in some part due to a training error. And so, what a training error can be is is either having increasing having a runner increase their running volume um, too fast too soon, or the intensity too fast too soon, or maybe not having any cross training. Um, or rest days built into their their running plan. And so um, in 2014, there was a great uh, special uh, special issue in JSPT uh, that really has a lot of really good resources for someone who wants to get interested in treating runners, um, where the whole issue is just devoted to, to running-related injuries. And out of that um, issue, uh, there was a study by Nielsen that helped support this 10% rule for increasing training volume. Um, and what that means is that, you know, runners shouldn't really increase their, their training by more than 10% per week so that they have this real gradual progression um, of stress being applied to their body and not too much stress where they'll, uh, so that they have time to recover from this. And Nielsen et al. really looked at this and found that uh, it was a prospective study and found that those runners who increased their their mileage or their volume by more than 15% per week were at a much much higher risk of developing a running-related injury than those runners that did 10% or less. Wow, that's really interesting to kind of hear. And and you know, and Jason, you know, kind of to get a little bit more specific and kind of to the day, a real day in the life picture here of kind of what this looks like in the clinic. And of course, realizing, of course, that this is very patient specific and there's a lot of other factors involved with this. But what does your evaluation and treatment progression overall look like when you're evaluating and treating a runner and then a cyclist? Yeah. Um, so for for both runners and cyclists, and, and really I think any any patient, you know, when we're in outpatient rehab, we're generally trying to get people back to doing activities, whether it be work or sport, um, that they really love doing. And usually what's bringing them in is that they're getting pain with that activity that's preventing them from doing it up to the the level of performance that they want or doing it at all. And so with all patients, I think it's really important to watch them do that activity um, as as best as you can. And so with runners, that means getting them on the treadmill and taking a look at their running gait. Now, if they have too much pain um, with running at the moment, then you're going to do kind of your more traditional orthopedic exam. But at some point in their treatment, you need to get them on the treadmill and observe their their gait to see if there's something in their mechanics that's um, leading to their their pain. And is that 
Is it just the mechanics and the neuromuscular control, or do you need to dig a little deeper? And is there a tightness or a a restriction in mobility of a joint that's not allowing them to have good mechanics, or is there an underlying weakness? And I'd say the same thing uh, goes with looking at a cyclist. Uh, The way our clinic, I guess, is set up, or the way the um, majority of injured cyclists that I'm seeing is they are are typically coming in for what we uh, advertise as a clinical bike fit. So they usually are coming in right away with their bike and they are expecting to have myself or uh, one of the other clinicians that I work with um, make some adjustments to their bike during that session. And, you know, so a lot of times we'll start their uh, treatment session with getting them on the bike right away and looking at their mechanics and looking at their posture on the bike and then starting to develop a, a, a good clinical picture on, on why they're developing that pain. Now, sometimes we'll go right to making some adjustments to their posture on the bike or other times we'll uh, get them off the bike and then do more of a orthopedic exam to, to get after it. But I guess to get back to uh, just a, a short answer is really looking at the patient doing their sport at the time to, to help um, paint a good picture of, of why they're developing their pain. Yeah, Jason, I think that's really important take. And I think you brought some really good points in there. And, you know, something that I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on too, is, you know, when I see runners too, something that commonly gets brought up um, is regarding the shoes. Um, and I'm kind of curious based on your experience and your expertise, what are your thoughts on certain types of running shoes or what are the differences are and how that plays a role in the grand scheme of things? Well, I think, you know, we, we kind of go through these or the running world goes through these trends, um, you know, every so every three or five years or so, you know, where you see, you know, a trend in terms of, of a specific type of shoe. So, you know, we went from, you know, a minimalist shoe with the five, the Vibram five fingers to, you know, now having, you know, every major shoe company having a minimalist shoe um, in their, in their uh, selection, in, in their selection of shoes. But then we see, saw the Hoka's uh, come on board a few years ago. And so now we're seeing these ultra cushioned shoes as well. Um, and then of course we have the traditional um, motion control shoes that have been around for a while and uh, cushion shoes and, and just stability shoes or a neutral shoe. So what that tells you, I think right away, when you have so many different options available to you is that there isn't one shoe that's going to fit every person uh, the best and shoes in, in themselves are not going to fix um, someone's running running related injury. So I kind of tend to stay a little bit out of the, the shoe thing with, with patients because a lot of times they come in and they have shoes that they love and um, unless it, it looks like they have really, that shoe is really altering their mechanic, their foot mechanic, foot ankle mechanics. Um, I, I tend to not go too much into the, into the shoe thing. Now, if they're coming in for advice uh, regarding shoes, I generally try to steer people towards more of a, kind of a neutral stability shoe to, to start with um, and really educate them in terms of selecting shoes to go to a specialty running store where you have a salesperson who's invested um, in the running world and, and really knowing the running market and hopefully they'll have a, a treadmill or at least let the, the customer run in the shoes um, outside when they're trying to, to make a selection. Uh, there's an interesting study that's now several years old um, that was out of uh, Alberta. And they did a, a prospective study where they took two groups of runners. And one group, they 
they put on all these biomechanical markers and, and did uh, 3D motion analysis on these runners. And another group, they just had basically in what I envision a pile of shoes um, of sizes that fit the runners, but you know, motion control, stability shoes, uh, cushion shoe. And then had the, that group just select the shoes based on comfort. And then they looked at the the mechanics, the running mechanics um, between the two groups, and they found very little difference. And so what I think that allows me to educate patients is it makes it simpler is basically having someone make sure they spend the time to to try on a variety of shoes um, versus of types and um, brands, but then really going with the shoes that are the most comfortable and then taking them for a test drive or a spin on the treadmill in the in the store or if they allow them to go outside of the store and you know go with the one that that's the most uh, comfortable and feels the best and then coming back and, and seeing me and if I think it looks you know something's off I'll have you know I have the relationship with a running store where they'll they won't have any problem with um, the patient returning those shoes and, and getting a different pair of shoes. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting, Jason, especially that study that you kind of brought up. And it kind of reminded me of one that I learned about when I was in PT school. I'm, not sure, I'm sure you've heard of this one too. Um, wasn't it the one that the US Army put out where they kind of had specialist shoes versus regular shoes to kind of track injury rates and they didn't find a difference? Does this ring a bell? Yeah, so so Napic has, has done, um, he's, he's usually the author. He's done studies in basically every branch of the, the military with this. And um, military studies are great studies to look at for runners because running is such an essential part of basic training and it becomes such a huge cost um, from the military because of the high prevalence of running related injuries just in running in general. And certainly uh, military recruits are not uh, immune to this. So they have a captured audience. They can get really high numbers for, for their studies. So they're, they're really well done. And what, what, the studies by NAPIC we're really trying to do is really looking at do specific type of shoes help prevent running related injuries? And the answer is no. Uh, so he basically uh, did prospective studies looking at military recruits um, before they started basic training. They were, looked at their foot posture indexed. Um, basically, if they have a pes, pes cavus, a pes planus, or a, a normal foot posture, and then put the the recruits in a shoe according to that and then and the control group they just put them in a, a st- I believe it was just a stability shoe and they really didn't find any difference in the the rate of injury between between groups yeah i thought that was a really interesting study to hear when i came out of school so that's always kind of piqued my interest in that but but you know but jason you know say a clinician wants to get better at treating runners and cyclists you know what are some resources from whether that be books, classes, podcasts, or even other things that you'd recommend that someone starts with? Yeah, you know, um, for runners, uh, you know, a book that I think is a really well done book is by Jay Deshari, who's a physical therapist. He was out, um, I believe he was in Virginia, um, and now he's out in, in Bend, Oregon. But uh, it's, it's called Anatomy for Runners, so it's, it's written for the, the general population. But it is really well written, and, and I think there's as clinicians we can get two things from reading books that are um, written for the general population. One, we can get the information that our patients are reading, and then two, it, they're usually the descriptions give us really good examples to use for our patient education, where um, it allows us to kind of uh, explain those concepts that we're learning through 
you know, coursework or, or in PT school, but really bring it down to something that um, a patient can understand at a really good level. I teach a rehabilitation of the injured runner course. It's heavily lab-based where we do a lot with uh, looking at running mechanics. Um, so I'll, I'll plug my own course there. But then uh, there's a great course, um, kind of mini conference that's put on. I believe it's twice a year, and it's I think it's through the APTA, but with uh, Brian Heiderscheidt, Chris Powers, and um, and uh, blanking her name right now, but uh, really good. That's a really good conference as well, and I think that comes up about twice twice a year. Um, so those, and then just looking in the, in the literature too, running related injuries and physical therapy is kind of a little bit of a hot topic right now. So, um, every few issues of JOSPT, you're going to see a running related, um, uh, article. And just, if you do a PubMed search, you'll, you'll be overwhelmed with the amount of, uh, uh, articles available to you. As far as uh, cycling goes, uh, again, I, I teach a, a course, a rehabilitation of the injured cyclist, which is uh, basically a, a clinical bike fitting course. Um, and again, is very heavily lab lab based. So I really feel that participants come out with being able to do bike fitting um, after the weekend. So I'll, I'll again plug my own course. Uh, but Steve Hoag uh, is a bike fitter out of Australia. He has a great website with um, a lot of really good information. Uh, again, looking at a a book that's written more for the general population. Uh, Andy Pruitt has a book that's uh, several years old now, but that's a great uh, resource too. Um, I think that one is called uh, Injuries for for the Injured or Bike Fitting for the Injured Cyclist. But uh, Andy Pruitt is the author. Um, and then another, uh, if you're seeing a lot of triathletes, uh, FastTwitch.com. Uh, they do a really good job of looking at kind of how a tri-specific bike fit for a time trial bike um, is different from your your typical road bike. Wow, Jason, that is an expansive list of resources. I love it. I love it. Our audience is going to get a lot of that. Tell us a little bit about what are some of the benefits um, that you see when it comes to treating runners and cyclists? Well, I think the, the the major benefit is these are highly motivated patients. They they really want to get back to their their sport, um, and they're very very reluctant to take any time off. So they're they're usually going to be if you give them a home exercise program, um, it's you're they're going to err on the side of doing too much rather than than not doing it at all. So it, having that knowledge is is certainly helpful for you as a clinician to try to to rein them in a little bit, um, and then. You know, another great benefit is just when working with someone with their mechanics as a runner or with their fit as a cyclist, a lot of times just because of the repetitive nature of this, those sports, you can make really small little tweaks within a session and have, it's almost magical where they can, you know, basically ride longer or ride, you know, at all without any pain or a lot less pain or, and same thing with running. So it's really rewarding from, from that perspective. Awesome, Jason. And you know, now I got to go the other way, though, I got to admit, because on this show, we kind of like to do devil's advocate at times. So, you know, with that being said, what are the cons when it comes to treating runners and cyclists? Well, I guess I alluded to it a little bit in the in the previous answer, but runners and cyclists um, are really chomping at the bit to get back to doing their sports. So they're, they're, it's hard to rein them in sometimes, and it's really hard to try to get them to take some some time off. Um, and so that can really prolong their injury and sometimes be frustrating from a clinician's 
um, point of view because you know that you could get that they could get so much better more quickly if they would just take a little time off or really decrease the, the amount of training that they're doing. And then I guess in another thing too is um, for some reason runners and, and cyclists you send, tend to see a little bit more type A uh, personalities. And so you know, you'll ask them to bring in their training logs and they'll bring you in a training logs from the past five years. And so you know they get sometimes they give you a little bit too much information and they want uh, you know, too much information from you. So it can be a little bit frustrating from, from that perspective. Yeah, for sure. I can see how that can kind of be frustrating for sure. Jason, tell me a, a little bit about, um, the strategies that you have found to be the least effective when educating or, or teaching and training runners and cyclists, you know, um, definitely just trying not to, I mean, I think mistakes I've made in the past are, are not relating to the individual person as much as I should and really see where they're coming from and, and trying to either shut them down or, or decrease their volume too much without properly educating them. And so not having them on board and then, you know, it just really decreases their compliance with, with the rehab program that you're designing for them. Um, and so, you know, I think as far as that strategy is, is probably the, the biggest thing is just really from a, a patient education standpoint to begin with and not relating to the patient and, and seeing kind of what their birth, what their learning style is and, and, you know, maybe not spending the, the extra time on that first visit um, where you're trying to get through, the, you know, their, their patient education so you can start getting into some treatment with them. Um, but that that's a mistake I've made in the past is just not, taking the time to to make sure that they're on board with everything before jumping ahead in, into some treatment. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important message for our young clinicians and even our regular clinicians for that matter to hear because that is such a true statement in terms of really making sure that that patient is on board, you have good therapeutic alliance with them so they understand the process. Sometimes I find that's way more important on day one than any sort of exercise I can get them for the most part. So I think that's a really important point. And you know, Jason, I'm going to flip it a little bit and kind of ask, what strategies have you found to be the most effective with teaching and trainers, runners, and cyclists? Like, in regards of like, do you use like any external cues such as visual, including lasers, more kinesthetic based, verbal, tactile, and any others? Yeah, I think um, in in my experience, using external cues uh, has has been um, I've been the most successful with that, and so you know. One thing with with treating running injuries, you know, there's a lot of there's no perfect way to to run. I think, uh, and that's uh, Brian Heiderscheidt, who's a physical therapist and on faculty at University of Wisconsin, and, and does a great job uh, with publishing research and then um, presenting. He'll, I'm sure he'll be at CSM this uh, next week. It, that that's a quote from from him, and I, I agree with him. But there are a lot of ways that someone can run run wrong. And with that is really what we're trying to do is really decrease impacts with, with runners and and an effective way. There's a lot of effective ways that you can do that. Probably the easiest way is with cadence retraining. And so basically looking at their step rate for a certain speed and using a metronome as an auditory cue to try to, to have them, usually you're having them increase their step rate to decrease their stride length. Again, for an auditory cue is just even having them listen to the impacts that they're they're making and trying to have them soften their steps from from that standpoint, um, I've had a lot of success with that. I know there are some apps 
to, um, you know, where it actually shows in the death in decibels, you know, how hard they're striking. I found those apps to work well if there's nothing else going on in the room, but most people are going to be working on this out on their own in a gym um, where they're not going to get that feedback. But with the metronome, um, I found that to be be much more uh, successful. And then in the clinic, we use a lot with um, visual feedback with uh, with mirrors. So having the mirror in front of the, the runner or the cyclist and having them watch how their knees are tracking and then giving them some some cues for their mechanics to make sure that their their knees aren't typically you're trying to prevent a dynamic valgus from from occurring but um you know i'd say mirrors are are a very helpful tool to use as well yeah jason with the sheer number of americans running cycling or both do you think that uh that should be included in DPT education? And if so, what would you recommend being the best way to integrate that into the programs? Yeah, um, I think I think it definitely should be included in DPT education, at least at a, you know, I don't know how in depth in a DPT education they need to, to get into it just because there's so much, so much things that we, you need to cover just in orthopedics alone. But definitely, you know, I think educating students on, you know, just what the sheer number of running related injuries are, maybe having, you know, a running specialist physical therapist come in for a guest lecture uh, would be helpful. I know, you know, for, I went to the University of Minnesota and, and we, we frequently in our orthopedic uh, courses would have guest lecturers come in for, you know, an hour long lecture just to, to at least make us aware of different topics within physical therapy. And then I think that can be used as a springboard to, you know, seeing what programming you're going to go to if you're going at CSM as a student, or you know, being aware of different sports medicine courses that are coming in that you can take as a student if you really want to dig deeper with that. Yeah, no, I think those are some great points, Jason. And you know, for the next question here, I'm actually going to go kind of with something kind of not really related to biking and cycling. Um, but what are a few books that you have been reading recently, or that you have read in the past? that really made an impact on you and that you feel would be helpful for healthcare practitioners to read? Great question. Um, so two, two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to hear Paul Farmer speak. Um, he was at Montana State University here in Bozeman. Um, and if you don't know who Paul Farmer is, he's a physician and also has a background in um, public health and has really been a champion of serving the, the underserved, particularly in Haiti. and. Uh, a few years ago, I, I read a book about him um, called Mountains Beyond Mountains. And I think every healthcare practitioner needs to, to read that book because uh, I think all of us go typically go into healthcare for altruistic reasons and really wanting to help people. And Paul Farmer um, really takes it to the next level and really treats the underserved. Um, and so I think that is should be a, a read for, for any any. Um, healthcare practitioner. Awesome. Great recommendation, Jason. I'm adding it to the list. Um, we like to end each episode by asking all of our guests one final question. And that question is, if you could change one aspect of higher learning, DPT or other healthcare related fields, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? So I, I th I'm a huge uh, advocate of interdisciplinary care and looking um, at the a healthcare team kind of surrounding a, a patient. So, you know, in physical therapy, a lot of times now, particularly now we see um, patients 
in a direct access setting. So we may be their entry point into the healthcare system. But, you know, I don't think we need to be on an island and we should certainly be referring out when appropriate um, for patients. And so uh, for for some physical therapy schools and, and medical schools, it's it's a little bit easier because you have several different healthcare fields, professional schools at the same university. And so, the, you know, I think just having more interaction between those students in those fields um, is a huge bonus. Um, for for smaller, you know, private schools or universities, that's going to be a little bit more of a challenge. But, you know, really having the, the schools make sure that they're bringing in practitioners from other healthcare fields to educate uh, physical therapy students, for example, on what they do and when it's appropriate to refer to whichever um, referral source that needs to be. I think a great model is at the University of Minnesota, we had uh, what we call is a Phillips Neighborhood Clinic, and that was a student-run clinic and interdisciplinary. So it was run by the medical students, uh, the physical therapy students, and nursing students, and pharmacy students. And it was student-run, so it really didn't take a lot of faculty involvement. And it was a, we had it was set up for us. It still is set up for a sliding scale. So it was a, a pay as you as you can um, in one of the the poorest neighborhoods in Minneapolis. And it was just a great experience as a student because you're working with students, medical students, and pharmacy students, and nursing students. And then we had preceptors for each field every night. The clinic was open, so then you're working with those practitioners as well. So it really allowed you to see how. Those medical students were, were approaching things and kind of what their education was. Um, same thing with pharmacy. And it really made it a great team atmosphere. And anytime you have more of a team centered around the patient, you're going to get better outcomes for, for that patient. Yeah, Jason, I think that's an absolutely fantastic take. And to be honest, that's actually one of the top recommendations that we get from our guests at the end of each episode with number one being debt and number two being more of an interdisciplinary integration or um, education model with that. So I think that's really good. And that's definitely getting some ground um, within education realms that I've seen. So Jason, say for example, our listeners want to reach out to you or kind of find out a little bit more information or ask you a question. Where's the best place they can find you either online or on social media? Yeah. um, You know, I don't have the biggest uh, internet presence or social media presence for sure. uh, I do have a Facebook page. I I really haven't set it up. The only reason I have the Facebook page is for doing um, PT on ice, uh, Facebook live uh, things for, for this to, for clinical excellence. So please don't try to message me through my Facebook page because I will never get back to you. But, you know, I do have a Instagram page uh, through the American Institute of Sports Rehab. Uh, if you just search Jason London, you'll find that. Uh, we also have Instagram page through our, uh, my clinic, Excel Physical Therapy, and uh, do, do some uh, infrequent blogs uh, on um through my clinic's website. Probably the, the best place you can find me is on the Institute for Clinical Excellence's website and Facebook page. Well, that's fantastic, Jason. And again, thank you so much for your time and for your insight as it was truly remarkable and very valuable. And I know that our audience is definitely going to get some great value of this. So thank you so much for your time and everything. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was an honor to be on your, on your podcast. Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, 
the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.